0: what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh.
1: Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange, a monthly conversation about startups and small businesses with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. My name is Jeff Newville, your co-host, and I'm the director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is the head of the business department at CVCC. Hey, Gary, how is it going? It's
2: going great, Jeff. Looking forward to another super show. You uh, having a good spring so far? I'm looking for spring, actually. It's been well, cold I... as the son of a gun. Well, here in,
1: here in western North Carolina, the weather has been somewhat volatile. So uh, we've had some spring, then we go back to winter, and we're optimistic that spring is on the way. Every day it gets a little
2: bit closer to spring, we say.
1: Today's show, we're going to start uh, by talking about uh, an interesting article that's crossed our desk. Our main topic today is we're going to talk about how to go about buying or selling a business. And we've got a, an expert with us uh, that we'll introduce shortly. And we'll finish up with our small business of the month, month feature. But first, Gary, you uh, you found an article that uh, was was interesting you that you passed along to me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes, I was looking on the Internet and saw an article from Cheryl Connor on Entrepreneurship News, and it, the title was Vital Skills Teen Business Owners Learn on the Job. And I thought it hit home not just for teen business owners or entrepreneurs but for anyone looking to uh, start their own business and the lessons that they learn along the way.
1: Well, and, and uh, you know, we've talked a little bit before about whether – entrepreneurial skills are, are things that people can learn, or are they things that people uh, are born with, traits that they have? And you know, After reading this article, uh, what, uh, what was your
2: takeaway of it? Well, it's interesting, because we do talk about that a lot. I think we can uh, help people become much more successful in developing their business idea and putting it into place down the road, but actually, one of the first things that comes out of this is um, the people highlighted Their parents were entrepreneurs, and so they had it a little bit in their blood, as they would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they also learned a lot of other things that you can use in any type of business that I think the things that we can help folks with when we're working with them. Time management skills. They mentioned being patient and uh, increased confidence by just going through the process of building that business plan idea and then presenting it to people. So a lot of things that we could take away.
1: And the article highlighted uh, a few actual teen entrepreneurs that had come up with some some apps and and uh, that, that uh, they had had some great success with and, uh, and, the, and the the article sort of goes along with some of the work that you do uh, as a, an instructor uh, of folks in community college and I know that you're involved with a program called Skills USA. In which uh, you're working with uh, teams of college students and uh, on an entrepreneurial basis, where they're putting together plans for business startups. How does how does that work?
2: Skills USA is a partnership between students, teachers, industry, work to try to make us a better economy for the future, helping prepare people with skills and uh, the leadership ideas that they need to, to grow a business, or even if they're not going to start their own business, go into be successful within a business. But Skills has a lot of activities to promote automotive, welding, cosmetology, all folks that are going to be entrepreneurs one way or another, probably. And then they have the leadership side, which is great, where they focus on job skills, like job interviewing, customer service, and the entrepreneurship program that we work very closely with. And it ties closely to different events like Shark Tank and other biz plan competitions the skills uh, blends very well and it's a really good program to help people learn what they need to be successful whether they're going to start their own business or be in business with someone else
1: and and, and you're you're sort of a mentor uh of, to some of these teams have, have you seen them come up with some interesting business ideas or you know what you know, or what sort of things do they do they consider as they're putting their plans together
2: well, they go through the same process we would uh, if we were going to start a plan for any business. They go through and figure out what are the key concepts that need to do. How are they going to get their idea across to uh, the potential investor or the potential bank that's going to fund them? They learn all the different pieces. They don't just say, find out that they have an idea, and that's it. They've got to figure out how they're going to make that idea a reality, and that's what we help mentor so, them with.
1: So is, is, are you working with folks who... Uh are, are working on the next Facebook, or, or uh, what, what sort of business ideas have, have the folks that you've been working with come up
2: with? Well, that's a very interesting point. There are a few that have developed apps like these teenagers, and we work with them. And then we have a lot of lifestyle businesses that we work with and trying to help people you know, have that second income for their family or something that will start small and then can grow. Uh, one of the areas that we're working in right now is a young lady that has got a book series on helping children through difficult times. It's called Reading with a Purpose, Empowering Children One Book at a Time. Great concept. And we're really excited about working with them and taking that from an idea to a reality in the future. Good deal. Well,
1: uh, so anyway, thanks uh, for... Sharing that article and, and uh, Skills USA sounds like it's a,
2: a very good program, and uh, appreciate your involvement with that as well. Well, I appreciate you bringing it up because it, it ties well with the different programs we're working with uh, throughout the college and the high schools.
1: Well, why don't we move to our, our, uh, the topic that we want to spend most of our time on today, which is buying or selling a business. You know, when people decide that they want to get into business or start a business, uh, you know, they, they they really have three primary options to consider when they're when they're getting into business. You can start it yourself. Uh, you can lease or buy a franchise, which is really going into an existing brand, existing company name, or you can buy an existing business. And today we're going to talk uh, with someone who knows a lot about uh, buying and selling businesses. Our guest is Todd Blair. Todd is a a business broker and certified valuation analyst with over 15 years of management, sales, and acquisition experience. Todd is with Murphy Business and Financial Corporation in Western North Carolina. uh, And Murphy Business and Financial Corporation is one of the largest business brokerages, uh, brokerages in North America. So, Todd, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Sure. It's my pleasure. It's good to be here. Glad you're with
1: us. So, so, Todd, you work with folks that uh, uh, come to you and have an interest in buying businesses or, or, or specific businesses. I mean, uh, how often, in terms of getting into business, how often do people come to you, or, or just in terms of the business of buying businesses and selling business? How big is the business?
3: Well, it's uh, it has been bigger in the past. The last few years, it's been it's been down, but there's some interesting uh, statistics. I don't. First, we have to understand the marketplace to understand how big it is. we I don't think anybody really has data on how many businesses sell. Maybe the IRS does because <laughs> they want the tax revenue. Makes sense. I think the NSA might know as well, Todd. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, so anyway, um, the reason is, is that many businesses trade without sale in the open marketplace. They might sell – internally to their kids or to a manager or through some vehicle like an ESOP or Mm -hmm. uh, a recapitalization of some sort. And, you know, those aren't open marketplace. Those are private transactions. And so it's very difficult to gather and capture all that data. There is some interesting information. Uh, I got this from bizbuysell.com, which is, they claim to be the, the Internet's largest business for sale marketplace. They say that small business transactions jumped 49% in 2013 from 2012. And so, you know, we had the Great Recession, and that caused a a downturn in in the business sale marketplace, one, because businesses became unsellable. You know, their revenues and and profits didn't merit uh, the sales price that the owner would need. Buyers didn't have the capital. Previously, in I think prior to 2008, a lot of financing that went into purchasing a small business came from people's home equity. Not all of it, but you know that was a portion of it. And, and home equity went away, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in the Great Recession, so I assume people uh, just got more cautious too. Yeah, what was I think going so. The Absolutely. Yeah, sure. The, the future was unclear, and anytime the future is unclear, that increases risk, and uh, it makes people run away from risky endeavors like right. buying a business. And then I think the third thing was uh, the banks dried up. Well, the banks, some of them folded. Uh, And so, you know, those trifecta of negative stuff caused the market to shrink dramatically. But it looks like it's coming back right now. Um, So the numbers, according to BizBuySell in 2013, it was uh, 7,056 small business sales were reported by business brokers and that was a 2013 number. In 2012, it was 4,730. So that's almost a 50% increase.
1: And in terms of the activity that, that you're seeing with Murphy Business Brokerage, an uptick or fairly constant? or, or Yeah, we're, your sense?
3: We're, seeing, we're seeing more sellers entering the marketplace. We're seeing more buyers willing uh, to take the leap of faith in uh, business transactions. So we have a very optimistic look for 2014 and beyond.
2: Is the pricing of the business is similar to the housing market? There are more people coming in, but they're looking for a better deal than they might have in 2007, 2008.
3: Yeah. Um, that makes sense? I, it absolutely makes sense. I think the best way to sum it up is to say, yeah, it's a buyer's market. You, you still have some businesses whose earnings, um, the benefit stream, I like to call it, is down. The risks of the future are still somewhat elevated, whether that's reality or just perception. It's perception that matters. Uh, and so the multiples that these businesses might be able to get are lower. And, uh, but they're, they're coming up. They're coming back up. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me show you some, some other interesting numbers. There was an article written by a guy named Bill Martin, which was posted and published in the Business Brokerage Press. And we 've all read that the, yeah. the press it 's on the top of our reading list very very critical reading for people yeah. who uh, who are in the know um, so here 's what 's interesting about this. Uh, what he did was he he analyzed multiples of EBITDA so it's a it 's a benefit stream um, in two thousand and five, the mean is this mean or median? Anyway, um, somewhere in the middle. Uh, two thousand five, the multiple was four point zero five. So, if you had a business that was doing a hundred thousand dollars in benefit stream EBITDA, mm-hmm. um, you'd sell it for just over four hundred thousand dollars. In two thousand and thirteen, the multiple was two point four. Wow! Right and if you look at the trends that i have on my paper and you can't see um it we, should goes have, from, we should have explained this podcast concept to you better yeah you know, the visual <laughs> piece really isn't as great <laughs> uh no but but seriously uh the trend it it drops dramatically in 2008 and then Again, in two thousand and nine, again in two thousand and ten in two thousand and eleven it starts to go up. It went back down in twelve and slightly came up in thirteen so but it's, still we're, it's, like still it's still dramatically different It's still dramatically different um and so what I think we see in the business for sale marketplace is people who need to sell are selling right. people who don't need to sell are not selling so, uh, similar to the housing market similar to the housing market, yeah. They're waiting, so, and that's okay.
1: So now you're, you're you're throwing strange acronyms at us like EBITDA and whatnot. So so taking a step back here, if you know you know if I Jeff, uh, you know I've decided I want to. You know, you know, I, I consider myself an entrepreneur, but I don't really have something that I figured out that I want to start. But I I just have the the desire to own my own business. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a logical approach could be: Hey, I want to go buy an existing business that's out there that has some track record. Uh, yeah. So I come to you as a business broker and say, "Hey, I'm I'm interested in that." You know, talk to us a little bit about the process that you go through with a potential buyer and the sort of things that that you think about, the sort of things that you tell that buyer to think about as mm-hmm. you're going through that process. How do you, how do you how does it
3: work? Okay, so what we do is we think the decision to buy a business really starts long before you've decided to buy that business. You have to ask yourself a few questions and we help people with these questions. Most of these are internal looking. They're, they're, you know, is this really what I want to do? So a good question that somebody needs to answer is why do I want to be in business? Is it money? Is it wealth accumulation? Is it a lifelong dream? Job satisfaction? Making the world a better place? What am I trying to do here? Um, and the answer to this question will really frame everything that comes after that. Another question is, what assets do I have? What What do I have and what do I need? Do I have cash? Uh, do I have chutzpah? Do I have a 140 <laughs> IQ? You know, Do I have industri- industry connections that are going to help me along? What do I have?
1: Where Where does chutzpah fall on a balance sheet? Is that a you know, is talking, is that goodwill or is intangible? That, oh, intangible? That is definitely, okay.
3: definitely one <laughs> of the intangibles. Um, and... Some people probably have uh, larger hoods than others, they should be able to put that on their balance sheet, I think. I understand. I understand. Um, another question is, what lifestyle do I want to lead? And I think this is one where people just, uh, they tend to miss the boat on this. Uh, I've had buyers come to me and say, hey, I think I want to buy this retail business. And then after we describe what retail life is really like, they say, wow, I I really don't want to buy that retail business or, or the restaurant business. You know, it's... Um, Restaurant business is... You buy a business; it's twenty four seven. Right. Some. Some of them, they are. Yeah. Some of them, you can. You know, you can have a lifestyle where you go nine to five and and you don't work weekends and you don't travel, um, but that needs to seriously be part of that. You do business you're. That's doing right. Self discovery. So 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 it sounds like getting your personal
1: goals, your financial goals aligned is 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 part of the process that you make people think about as you're going through it. It's the first step. Yeah.
3: So then. What we tell people is you should go into the search with an open mind uh, because you may end up looking at a business that is in some industry or some segment that you never even thought you'd be involved in. That happened to me. I bought a publishing business and uh, never before – I got into the publishing business that I say to myself, I want to publish books. It just happened that it fit all of my criteria. And so I bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's worked out really well. And and what I have done with that business is I've done all the things that I tell people to do when, when I'm talking to sellers. And we're not necessarily looking at putting their business on the market immediately. We're looking at what do we need to do to get your mark, okay. your your business ready to sell? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done all those in this publishing business, and it's actually worked. And, you mm-hmm. know, we have over the last four years, we have um, a uh, compound annual growth rate in revenues of seventy three percent, and our profitability growth in that business has been well above that as compound annual growth. So, oh, you're, we're doing what we say. Uh, and it actually works. And it actually works. Yeah, you know, so that's really important when you're
2: talking to people to say you've gone through the process. You're not saying, "Well, deal with what this book says." You're saying, "This is what I've done to be successful."
1: Right. Well, so so when someone comes to you and, and you were talking about keeping an open mind, do they often come to you and saying, "I want to be in a specific industry," or or they just come in and say, "Gosh, I want to own a business." You know, what what do you got?
3: You know, uh, yeah. So what's it's both? Is it? Uh, yeah, it's both. It varies, and um, with. Uh, the the business sale arena is uh, very inventory dependent. Uh, so if you decide you want to buy a business, the chances are that the business that's perfect for you is going to be available next week so that you can go ahead and have an immediate clean transaction, chances are pretty low. Uh, and so mm-hmm. as a business buyer, you need to prepare for the fact that it might take you a while to find the right business. And you might kiss a lot of frogs before you find – uh, the prince or princess that you're looking for. So uh,
1: when you're working with these buyers and, and ultimately you start to, to target specific opportunities, specific businesses that they might be interested in, ultimately you know, part of what you do is, is help value a business as a certified valuation analyst. You talked a little bit about multiples. You were talking about EBITDA tell us just just explain a little bit about uh you know the basics of how you or or somebody would value a business and what the what the variables are and uh, I I suspect there might be more than one way to do it how do you how do you look at valuing valuing a business
3: yeah so there are three basic approaches to valuation you have an asset approach where you look at the value of the assets less the liabilities and come up with an estimated value you have an income approach where you look at the benefit stream and you apply all the risks that are associated with the future of that benefit stream you come up with a value and then you have the market approach where you go out and you look for comparative uh trades of some sort whether it's a small business or a bond or something and you uh you determine a value based on that when we talk with business buyers and we have a A known buyer and a known or at least partially known seller, we generally use an income approach because if you know from the buyer, you know how much money you have to put into the deal. You know how much money you need to pay your mortgage and send your kids to school and so on and so forth. You can determine what size business type, what you're able to do and what you're probably going to be able to borrow Uh, from some third party whether that's a bank or actually from the seller and you can look at the options that are available for you as far as size and scope of what business you might be able to get into so that uh
2: you just mentioned something that i was thinking about third party seller or or financing whether it's a bank but how what's the percentage of sellers that are financing their business has it gone up in the last
3: it has gone up i don't i don't have statistics on that um there, there probably are statistics out there somewhere, and they may vary based on what the source of that uh, of that number is. But I think if you talk to people in my industry, they will tell you that uh, the the percentage of deals that have seller financing attached to them has gone up dramatically in the last few years. And I did see some some information a couple years ago that I've talked about a few times. Uh, There there was a study, and I I don't have it here to cite where it came from, but basically what it did was it looked at transactions that involved seller financing versus those that did not. Mm -hmm. And the value of the deal went down by 40% for transactions that didn't involve seller financing. So as a seller, if you absolutely positively will not finance part of the deal, you can basically cut your deal almost in half. Mm -hmm. Your call. They're
2: making the risk assessment whether they're willing to carry the for the future,
3: that's right. So,
1: so, so, I guess it's fairly common that the seller is involved in the financing.
2: It is, okay.
3: yeah. I, now, more so than it was five years ago. No,
1: and because there are fewer sources of capital now than there were five years ago, or, or it's just tighter capital when it comes to to right. uh, banks and other other financing
3: organizations. Yeah. And so, you know, that gets into the the whole: is your business ready to sell? Uh, and if I go to a if a seller approaches me and says. I'm ready to sell my business, and we have this conversation about readiness and uh, you know, how much you can p- probably expect to get. And they say I absolutely, positively will not sell or finance. That's a big fat red flag to me because it means that in their mind, their business is not prepared to sell because they don't think that they're going to get their money back. That's the only reason exactly. that they wouldn't they're sell or finance at it. Not in the future, or not confident right. in the future. That's right. Uh, so as a as a broker, as an intermediary. It's important to me that the seller at least be willing to finance part of the deal. Whether mm-hmm. they end up doing it or not, it, you know that that depends on who the buyer is and what the particular set of circumstances are. But if they just come in and say, "No, I'm not going to do it," you know, that, that that's, that's that, concerning. Yeah, that's a problem. What is the
2: average age, or is there an average age of the folks that you deal with that are looking to to buy a business? I have no idea. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I don't track okay. that.
0: Todd, you talked a little bit about uh, preparing
1: your business to sell. Uh, you know, if uh, you know, there, there are people out there who, uh, you know, maybe because of retirement or, or whatever scenario they might be in personally, are thinking that, gosh, I'd, I'd like to consider selling my business. If someone is thinking about that, one of the things they should be thinking about, because you were were talking about if you're going to buy a business, the odds of you walking in and having the right business to buy a week later are Mm -hmm. pretty slim. Mm -hmm. I suspect on the flip side, if I walk into you and say, hey, I'd like to sell my business next week, that's probably not likely to happen either. So uh, talking about the process, if, if, if if I own a business today and I want to maximize the value of that business when I sell it, what should I be thinking about? It's
3: my favorite thing to talk about okay. because it is, it is a business owner's least favorite thing to talk about, what I have found. They don't want to talk about exit. You know, they, and A lot of times they're emotionally attached to the business. They, they don't know what they're going to do when they, when they take the next step, and so they can't visualize themselves doing something different. And so it's just a subject that they just don't even want to, want to deal with. But they should. They should start now to prepare themselves and their business for whatever comes next. In short, I think trying to time the market is a recipe for disaster because you don't know when you're going to have some event that causes you to need to sell or have to sell. You don't know when somebody's going to knock on your door and say, hey, I'm a strategic buyer. Your business fits perfectly into what we're trying to do, and I'll pay you one and a half or two times what it's really worth in the open marketplace. Because if that not comes, you want to be ready for that because that's a great deal. Also, when when you prepare a business for sale, you're not saying I have to sell. What you're doing is you're making your business as good as it possibly can be for you or for the next guy. And That's so, it's a if, positive process no matter what. It's a positive process no matter what, um, and and it really should start today because you will be the benef- benefactor whether you sell it or not. I have um, certain things that I like to call value drivers. Uh, and I have, I have six that I really I preach all the time. So a value driver uh, is a characteristic that reduces risk in owning a business and increases the, the possibility of future growth. Right? One is management team. In short, what you don't want as an owner is, is the business to be dependent on you. You need to develop the people around you so that when you're gone or uh, in the case that, that you don't necessarily leave 100%, when you decide you don't want to come to work for two weeks, the business continues to prosper and, and do well without you. So we'll call that sustainability because if, if you take a, a piece out, uh, the business shouldn't fall apart. Absolutely, yeah. The next is systems and procedures. Documented in writing, what do you do? How do the, you know, start with the first ten. The, the first ten main important systems and procedures that your business has, get them documented, get them flowcharted so that, Anybody could walk in and pick up that piece of paper or notebook and go, oh, okay, I see how that works. I can do that. You reduce risk by doing that because the next guy who comes in, if he can't see how the business is going to work under him or her, they're not going to buy it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they buy it, but they pay you less because it's more risky. The next is customers and suppliers. You really want to do everything you can (laughs) to make sure that no more than 20% of either your revenue or your supply chain is dependent on one individual or, or, or one vendor or customer. And again, it's it's pretty clear that's because of risk. If that mm-hmm. one vendor or one customer goes away, boom, 20% right off the top line and probably more off the bottom line. The next is facilities and equipment. Uh, over time, Facilities equipment they get run down, they get dirty they get uh, they get used up you got to replace them you know you can you can work with somebody, maybe your accountant or, or uh, evaluation analyst or somebody to figure out what the right level of investment in the business is compared to other businesses um, and so don 't i 'm not saying overinvest, um, but you need to have the right level of investment, and your equipment and your facilities need to be capable of producing when the new person takes over. If a new person comes in and sees that the machine that makes your widget uh, is on its last leg and it it hasn't been repaired or or maintained, they're probably going to either reduce the price or walk away. The next is financial discipline. uh, And that really goes to books and records. You need to have documented financials that tell the picture. We all know that income taxes for for businesses are done um, to Report to the IRS, not necessarily to lower income, lower taxes. That, right? They, they don't necessarily depict the true financial picture. So you need to have a way to prove exactly what's going on in that business. So you're suggesting that we lie to
1: the IRS? Is that what you're telling no. people to do?
3: What I'm saying is <laughs> that was a joke. Come on, some <laughs> people do. Okay. And if you if you do, I don't recommend it. However, <laughs> if you do, have a way to prove the true the the reality of things, and that oh. means financial. Profit and loss, balance sheet, statement of cash flows, and probably most importantly, a forecast of some sort that is backed up by reality. What assumptions have you made? What what things went into that forecast? And how can you prove or at least uh, remove doubt that that forecast is accurate?
2: Do you recommend, from the financial standpoint, getting a, an accountant to do an audit or review the financials to to make them
3: comfortable um, with it? You know, I've read in... I've never had a buyer say, I need them audited. Um, I've I've seen certain people talk about it. I've read certain places that recommend you go through that process. I'm not sure that's necessary. I would probably wait. And if the buyer comes in and says, we got to have financials that are audited, you know, that's just my personal approach. Well, it also depends on the size of the deal. Depends on the size of the deal and who the buyer is. You know, the more Anyway, uh, and so the final thing is growth strategy, and that gets to that forecast. Is it documented? Is it written? Uh, and can you prove it? So if you look at those six things, the the value drivers, if you're an owner, you can see how if you actually do those things, they will help you, and they will help you now, and they'll help you when it goes time to sell the business. Yeah, and, and I guess the key point is that those things that you're
1: talking about – which are all good, sound business practices, are not something that I can do next week. They're things that take weeks, months to, to properly do. Right. So, so this, is, this is a, a process that uh, t- it takes a while if you want to do it correctly and maximize the value of selling your company.
3: One way to look at it is, okay, so if I, if I think I'm going to sell this business to a third party and they're going to get funding from a bank, what does a bank, Going to look for well at a minimum they're going to look for two years of tax returns. Okay, so there you go. If your tax returns don't show that you know that that thirty thousand dollar expense that you have to put a new boat dock on the back of your house, you ran through the business, uh, and so it shows as an expense on your tax return. So your income is down by thirty grand. Well, guess what? Your lending capacity when you sell the business just went down by thirty grand. Uh, so if you've done that and you want to increase the the lendability of your business, you need to run it for two more years and get two years of clean tax returns so that the bank uh, will have information that they can lend on. Yeah,
1: good point. So so one one final question for you, Todd. Uh, any advice, you know, when, when you see some tra- transactions go through and someone's coming in buying a business and there's there's that transition period where a new owner's coming in and, and I guess sometimes the seller might be staying around for a period of time. Any things that you've seen that make that transition go more easily than others or any advice that you can have for, for both buyers and sellers to make that, that work? Because I suspect some people come in and hit the ground running and things go great, and then other buyers buy the business, and for whatever reason, things don't work out the way they expected, and, and things come to a, a grinding halt or, or they have problems. I mean, what, right. what are your
3: observations on that? Um. So, the first thing is when if I take a buyer through a through a purchase process, one of the things that I want to have in place before we actually make an offer to purchase before we get into the negotiations of the deal is we need a written plan of how the business is going to run under the new owner uh, some people say well how do you, how are you going to get that done when you're still in due diligence and you're still trying to figure out how this works well. You get it done because you work quickly and you and, and you get it done. You, you've got to have a plan as to what's going to happen to know what the business is going to be worth to you. Um, so if you've done that work up front, then the transition is a lot more seamless. If you buy a business and you don't have a written plan and all of a sudden from day one you're starting at zero and the business is yours, the owner you know unless they have a substantial portion of the transaction tied up in seller financing they're done you know i mean they, they they've had a heavy load on their chest for quite some time and once that load is off they're thinking about fishing and golfing and you know whatever it is that they enjoy doing they're not thinking about driving that business so the work really happens before you buy it you need to have a plan in place a written plan mm-hmm. as to what's going to happen does this a uh,
1: seller often hang around for a period of time or is that something that's agreed upon in in the in the transaction if i'm selling my business
3: yeah usually there's a in the smaller deals um there's a transition probably two weeks up to 60 or 90 days depending on you know what needs to be transitioned but Mm -hmm. yeah there's usually a period there whether that's paid or uh free as part of the The transaction right, the terms of the deal, the seller usually sticks around for some time. And again, as a seller, the benefit of having your processes documented and, and having everything in writing before you go to sell is you get to spend less time transitioning. So there's another benefit to, to doing that work up front. Okay.
1: Well, Ty, we really appreciate you uh, joining us today because, uh, you know, you want to get into a business. This is This is certainly a very viable way. And as you were saying, Multiples are down a little bit over where they were at one point in time, so you know it's it's still kind of a buyer's market. So, uh, if you're if you're considering buying a business now, it's not a bad time to do it.
3: Well, and just to be clear, the the numbers that we talked about were either mean or median, so they were in the middle. That doesn't mean that if you have a great business, you still can't achieve a great multiple. Because I think those deals are still doable. Uh, and people are looking buyers are looking for those great businesses that where the risk is minimized, and they can get in and they 'll pay premiums for them
2: well, it gets back to your point of the cleaner and better prepared your business is for the seller it 's going to help the buyer but the, be- the seller is going to benefit from making their business sure okay all
1: right well, we appreciate that let's're uh, we 're going to finish up here with uh, our uh, Small Business of the Month. And, uh, Gary, what do you have lined
2: up for us this month? Thanks, Jeff. I'm really pleased to highlight one of our thousands of listeners' Small Business of the Month. It will be a memorable business of the month. It's poo which was actually endorsed by several of our listeners, but I'm going to give credit to the first person that came to us, and that was Delita Hines from North Carolina. Do you know what it is? I, I, I have it a, I
3: have. I, I know what I, it is. Uh, what, what, go ahead, Todd. I hope I get this right because we have it on the back of our toilet. Uh, I think you're in the right ballpark. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you're, uh, you're winning so far. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Gary. Why don't you give us the details? Todd's got it. He's exactly right. Well, their slogan is "Spritz the bowl before you go, and no one else will ever know." And we've now had many of our guests that have heard of this and. I, I think
1: that says so, so something about the quality <laughs> of our guests. But go ahead, Gary. I didn't want to say that. But,
2: well, actually, 4 million bottles have been sold of this. So it's not a small business anymore. And it's actually got a 4.8 out of 5 approval rating from Amazon. So we obviously have a product that uh, really works. It comes in different scents, different sizes. It is a great package that we all could take advantage of. And, and where, can, where can one find
1: uh, the poo you said it
2: was said it's available on Amazon? Yes, and it they have their own website, poopery.com. Okay. We actually have in some specialty stores here in our local market, so I'm sure the specialty stores are the places that you would go to buy this fantastic product.
1: Well, well, I and, and interestingly, I uh, I I heard Poopery mentioned on on one of our colleagues' show, Dan Levitard with uh, ESPN has a radio show in the afternoon, and uh, I think he mentioned that product when uh, talking about the scent uh, one of the athletes uh, he was talking about made, not necessarily in the bathroom, just in terms of his overall activities, and thought that that's a, a product like that might cover his right. tracks a bit. <laughs> I understand. So... Well, that's a good one. Uh, My small business this month is a company called Wine and Design, which was started in 2011 and now has over 30 franchises in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, New York, and California. They offer a range of art classes, private painting parties, kids' activities, all revolving around art and painting. It was started with two friends in Raleigh, North Carolina, Emmy Priest and Harriet Mills, who are looking for a creative way to go into business together. And uh, they came up with a paintingslash wine party concept and started their business in Raleigh in 2011. For a small fee, Wine and Design provides about everything you need uh, a professional artist to help you, painting a, a painting which everyone in the class works on, canvases, brushes, corkscrews, cups. All you have to do is bring an open mind and the, your beverage of choice. They don't provide the beverage, but they uh, encourage you to bring one that uh, helps your creative juices flow. They uh, are located, as I said, in, in several states with 30 franchises. If you want to find out more about wine and design, you can go to their website, which is www.wineanddesignus.com. So if you want to find one nearby, check them out. Or if you're interested in, uh, a franchise opportunity, they're growing and they would probably be interested in that as well. So uh, we we appreciate uh, the contribution uh, to one of our listeners providing us with one of our small businesses in the month. So if you've got one, you can send it to us at e-exchange at themesh.tv. And if we use your small business in the month, you get the, the acclaimed Entrepreneur Exchange uh, prize pack, which I guess we're going to have to put another one of those together, which is quite the ordeal. You know, we've got a lot of stuff to get in that bag. It's a big deal. And Delita's really looking forward to it. She's heard a lot of good things. Well, we're, we're looking forward to giving it to her. And, and, uh, and we appreciate having Todd with us today. And we appreciate everyone listening. So we will look forward to talking with you again next month on the Entrepreneur Exchange. Thanks very much. Thank you. Great
2: show.